Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. Okay, so picture this. Close your eyes for a second. Now, imagine you're walking down the snack aisle in your grocery store, and you pick up a box of Cheez-Its. Okay, so you opened your eyes. Normally, you don't pay a lot of attention to nutrition labels, but today you turn the box around and you take a look. Now, you understand the calorie number. It's in big, bold letters. But beneath that, there's words like polyunsaturated fat, monounsaturated fat, a whole list of percentages under daily values. Now, you've been told to watch your sodium intake. 11% of your daily value doesn't sound all that high, but 250 milligrams does. Frazzled, you put the box of Cheez-Its back and you move on. Look, a lot of us have felt confused by food labels before this. But nutrition facts really have a lot of important information for us about what we're putting inside our bodies. There are a lot of efforts underway right now to make the labels on our food clearer for consumers. Earlier this year, a bill was introduced in California that would change the language around expiration dates. And last month, the FDA said it will test out nutrition labels on the front of packages in hopes of making them more accessible, an idea some of you are already sold on. I would love to see more nutritional labels on the front of packaging. As someone who chooses to eat a plant-based diet, I'm constantly looking for milk or eggs. And a lot of the time, it just takes me extra time in the grocery store to start flipping around packaging or opening doors to the frozen section and just trying to find what is in each product. So it would save me a lot of extra time and energy flipping around boxes just to know if there is eggs, dairy, etc. Later on, we'll hear from the FDA advisor leading the charge on putting food labels on the front of packages. First, though, we're breaking down nutrition labels and what they can and cannot tell us about what we eat. Stay with us. We've got a lot to get into after the break. I'm Celeste Headley in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back in just a moment. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the conversation and welcome our guests. Joining us is Dr. Gita Maker-Clark. She's the Director of Integrative Nutrition and Advocacy at North Shore University Health System. She's also co-director of the Culinary Medicine Program at the University of Chicago. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Maker-Clark. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Maya Feller. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist in Brooklyn, also the author of Eating from Our Roots, 80-plus healthy home-cooked favorites from cultures around the world. Maya, great to have you. Thanks for having me. So, Maya, can you first, you know, when we say nutrition labels, that that's a lot. There's a lot of different things that can be included under that phrase. 
What kind of nutrition labels are there and, and what kind of information could be included? Yeah, so that, that is a lot. And I can say in my practice, many of my patients are forever and continue to be confused when we say nutrition facts label. So when you're looking at the nutrition facts label, it has, as you said, serving size, calorie, percentage of the daily value, as well as some nutrients. However, there's also the ingredients portion, which is below the nutrition facts label. And that actually tells you the ingredients by name of what is in that packaged good that the person is purchasing. What I find is that it can be confusing because we don't understand the correlation between the percentage of the daily value of whatever nutrient we're talking about in terms of how that impacts our overall pattern of eating on a day or in that individual package. And they don't have to include everything that's in there. For example, as I understand it, if something is a proprietor, it's a secret, like KFC's secret recipe or this recipe for Coke, they don't have to tell me what's in it. That's exactly right, Celeste. It can say, for example, natural flavors, which will show up on many sparkling beverages that we all love. The ones that tend to have, you know, quote unquote, nothing added, but they're natural flavors. And so we don't exactly know what those natural flavors are. And, and Dr. Maker-Clark, what can not, what can a nutrition label not tell us? What's missing yeah, this, this is very important to realize that there is a lot of information on the labels. Of course, you do need to know how to read them, and we'll go through that a bit today. It's a practical skill that not everybody has or is taught, increasingly not taught, as we see less home economics in the classroom. But food companies aren't required by the FDA or the USDA to tell you, for instance, if the products are grown using pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics. They're also off the hook from telling you if foods are treated with disinfectants, radiation, other chemicals, and they're not required to disclose if it's genetically modified, though some food products are labeled GMO-free, which can help you make a more informed choice, but those are not requirements. So food labels are far from perfect. There's very limited information, though the information is valid. And my the nutrition label that we currently see on food packaging got an update. That was uh, uh, in 2016. What were the changes? So the primary changes are serving size. So what we see is that it's actually displayed larger and in a bold font. And that is actually updated because it's going to reflect what people consume. So serving size is in this nice bold font. Then we actually see calories as well in a larger, bolder font to make it easier to find. And I have to go back and say that it's important for the consumer to understand that the serving size may not always be reflective of what is in the package. Meaning, let's say you have a package of chips and you're going to eat the entire thing, but it has eight servings. That means the serving size has to be multiplied by eight so that you get the correct caloric content of what you're eating. So then we see the percentage of the daily value. That's also updated more accurately to reflect the servings and how they contribute to the overall pattern of eating. 
We got this message from Brandon in the Midwest. I have always been a big label reader. And uh, I usually look at the macronutrient profile, salt, fat, protein, sugar, that kind of stuff. But uh, I also am really big at looking at the ingredients and try to keep things as minimally processed as possible. Nutrition labels are very important. So, Dr. Maker-Clark, I wonder how should people be reading nutrition labels? I mean, there there is a lot of information um, you could spend your day reading in the grocery store aisles. What are the priorities here in reading these labels? The, the questions we need to just be asking ourselves is how much and of what. So it really comes down to quantity and quality, right? So the, in, the nutrition label is giving us information about calories, fat, cholesterol, sodium, sugar, added sugar, as Maya mentioned, very important change, and some micronutrients like vitamin D, calcium, iron, and potassium. For each individual, I think you might want to be looking for different aspects of that label that pertain to you. So back when these labels were initially made in the 90s and before they were updated in 2016, the biggest nutritional culprit of poor health was fat. That was what we were really concerned about, and the nutrition labeling was really focused on that. Today, we have different associated health issues that come along with overweight and obesity. We're still very concerned about cardiovascular disease as a major uh, chronic health disease for Americans. And so it is important to look at that serving size and that, that caloric information if those are things that are concerns for you. But the ingredient list is vital because it is listed in order of weight. So that first ingredient is what there is the most of. And you want the shortest, simplest list with things that you can recognize. And that first first ingredient is the key piece. Right. Because that's what makes up the most of what you're about to eat. So, Maya, we got this email from Virginia who says, I'm trying to avoid dairy, but it's hard. Not just milk, but casein, malted, even artificial butter. Uh, This is something I found when I was trying to avoid sugar because it's not called sugar. It's called ethyl maltol. It's called crystalline fructose. It's called dextrin. It's called uh, dextrose, galactose. Uh, There are so many different names for all these different ingredients. You don't know (laughs) what they are. How do you understand these ingredients? I think that that is a fantastic question, Celeste. And truthfully, I'm going to say that this is imperfect. This is an imperfect answer. With packaged goods, it's complicated once we have multiple ingredients to tease out kind of if there have been other things that are added. Generally speaking, I love for people who are trying to, you know, remove dairy from their pattern of eating or avoid it for any particular reason to take a look at things that are single ingredient items in the frozen section, in the canned section and in the jarred section. So that's one way. Once we get into the multiple ingredients, it's not a guarantee that whatever it is that you're trying to omit from your pattern of eating will actually not be in that package. I know that that's not a perfect answer, but that's kind of the truth. And that's how we kind of work with folks to figure out, you know, how to build that plate in a way that is suitable for whatever their individual needs are. I mean, I found in getting rid of sugar, I ended up having just having to make things myself, but not everyone can afford to make decisions based on 
nutritional facts. So how does affordability fit into this? How does accessibility fit into this? Yeah, I love that question so much, Celeste. And the first thing that I always say to people is that when we're thinking about eating, we want affordability, accessibility, and cultural relevance. So I'm really careful when I'm talking about packaged goods because I don't want to demonize them because I understand that there's so many people living in this country that, number one, need to rely on packaged goods. And that's where we want to help folks become informed consumers. And then the other thing is it's got to be accessible. If someone's living in a rural area, you know, we're not going to have access to all of these specialty foods at an affordable price on a regular and consistent basis. So yes, leaning into, as I said, those packaged goods that are single ingredients, becoming an informed consumer, figuring out, okay, if it's a can of beans that I'm having, then I can rinse that can of beans, even if it's not low sodium, and cut up to 40% of the sodium that's in that can, then I've got a quick meal that I can make. What are the frozen goods that I can have? Also, not to be afraid of shopping the interior of the grocery store or the dollar store. You know, many times we hear you can only have fresh on the outside, but the affordable things tend to be on the interior of the store. Yeah. So, Dr. Medical Clark, uh, we mentioned this earlier. California has induced a bill to change the language around expiration dates. Um, You see this in many different forms. Sell by, enjoy by, use by, best if used by. California wants to minimize confusion around when you're supposed to get rid of something. How big a deal would this be, especially when it comes to reducing food waste? Yeah, I think it's an important step forward in reducing food waste. I mean, the fact is there are a lot of shelf-stable foods that are safe indefinitely. Yeah. It's not necessarily a good thing. The reason they're safe indefinitely is because they don't have many fresh ingredients in them. Canned goods we know can last for years. But there are many packaged foods, cereals, pastas, etc., that beans? are safe. Yeah. Beans that are safe past the best by date. And so I think that's an important piece of looking at our overall food system health and planetary health to consider what are the ways in which we are wasting food that is still perishable, that is still nutritious, that uh, is still healthful. Right, and we don't need to be tossing it as as soon as we think we do. We're discussing nutrition labels, and we'll be back with more after this quick break. Stay with us. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. We're discussing why nutrition labels are often confusing, how to read them, and how they might change in the near future. Debbie writes, I regularly read nutrition labels to ensure I'm purchasing the healthiest food for myself and my family. It takes a lot of extra time I don't have as a working mother of three. The bigger issue is why can't we do something about improving the quality of our food and not and reducing the amount of unhealthy ingredients? This just seems to be like people saying, why can't the FDA have more oversight? Why can't they make it healthier? Why can't they give more information? Why, 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 why not? Right. Well, these are excellent questions. And these are very much the same kinds of questions that I get in my office all the time that some of your listeners just put through. You know, I've been told that I can't eat XYZ food, and yet I don't know where where it's been included, and I don't know how to find out if this food has it. These are very real concerns for Americans with chronic health issues. So I do think food labeling can be a very powerful tool for change. And yes, can the FDA be doing more? I think so. I do feel optimistic that we are headed in the right direction around regulation because I do think right now the burden on the individual is excessive. It is too much for an individual who has a limited amount of time and a limited amount of funds to go into a grocery store and be expected to become a nutrition label reading expert as well as, you know, try to figure out what's the best set of nutrients for their family based on the limited information that's given. So the answer to, you know, I think one of those questions is why is this the way that it is? And it's the food industry. We have different, we have different competing interests here, right? And the food industry is interested in selling food. That is what they are laser focused on is selling their food product. And that is their goal. And when you are the consumer going into the grocery store, your interest is what is the best food for me and my family. So those interests are actually different. We do need to have better regulation to protect us. We need better protections. And I think the improved food label actually is moving in that direction. The fact that there's an added sugar you know, line item is very helpful. That's something that we didn't have before. I think that there are, um, there's a movement now towards front of package labeling. And we've seen this adopted in Canada and several other Latin American countries where the front of package labeling actually tells you not just what might be good in that package, but what might be bad for you in that package. And that's the kind of protection that I want to continue to see the government pushing forth. And the current administration is pushing for front of package labeling that I think can help consumers. But, you know, labeling is a powerful tool. It really is. And I think that it can help foster a healthier food supply. And I very much empathize with how challenging it is for uh, consumers to find what they what they need that's the right choice for them. There are apps being developed. There is a, some, you know, some great websites. But again, a lot of burden on the individual. And we need to be living in a society where we can feel protected around the food that we're eating and you know, that's a bigger conversation that I'm interested in and a part of, but I'd like to see a comprehensive national food plan that has a farm bill that ties agricultural policy to health policy and environmental policy because, you know, the food industry is not a social service agency and it is certainly not a public health agency. 
I, I want to stay with this for just a moment because we are hearing from quite a few listeners uh, who want to talk about food allergies or specific medical issues. I have to check food labels quite a bit for carbohydrates because I'm a type 2 diabetic. I have to see what the net carbs will be. My nephew has a nut allergy and one of my kids' uh, friends has milk allergy. So I'm always looking for those too. And we got this email from Dale who says, I was diagnosed with celiac disease 30 years ago. My biggest challenge is determining whether a food product labeled gluten-free is actually free of gluten or contaminated at less than the FDA label of uh, level of 20 ppm. What I'd like to see is gluten zero label. So Maya, here we come back to what the doctor was just talking about, which is that we end up putting all of this back onto the individual, right? If the level is not going to work for everybody, that leaves it up to the individual to make it themselves, right? Agreed. Yeah. So I have to agree so much with Dr. Maker Clark because when we're thinking about human health and public health, it has to come from both the public and private sector. Like there has to be a priority around individuals and making sure that people have consistent access to safe, affordable, nutritious foods. It is a public health crisis when we have this rising tide of chronic illness and people who cannot access safe food. I think that, you know, this current administration and the Conference on Hunger, Nutrition and Health really was a great step in the direction of asking manufacturers and big businesses to become partners in actually shifting those nutrition facts labels and becoming more transparent. Do we have a long way to go? Absolutely. Yes, we do. But there are many companies that have said by 2030 that they're going to make some shifts. I earnestly hope, right, for every single person that has called in and every one of your listeners that these shifts do make, do actually happen, excuse me, because at the end of the day, humans are caught in the balance, right? And they're the ones that are suffering. When the burden is on the individual, then it actually takes the onus off the public sector and the private sector. And what we really want to do is catalyze a movement where not only is the federal government, but also these corporations are committing to be transparent about what's in the packaged goods and also to create safe foods for people who have, you know, non-communicable conditions as well as allergies and intolerances. Coming up, we'll hear from an FDA official leading the charge on placing food labels on the front. We'll be back with more after this short break. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. 
Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation by adding a new voice. Robin McKinnon is a senior advisor for nutrition policy at the Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition, which is a division of the FDA. Robin, welcome. So much for the opportunity to join. So why is the FDA testing out um, using nutrition labels on the front of food packaging? Yeah, so um, maybe I can take a step back um, and just say that as I, I think a number of folks have already made the point, food labeling can be a powerful tool for change. I mean, you just look at the nutrition facts label, it's really iconic. The design has been adopted by other industries, been part of our daily lives now. We know that more than 80% of Americans use the information from the nutrition facts label. It gives people information, but it can also encourage industry to reformulate. And one example there is the use of artificial trans fats uh, and removing those from the food supply after Trans fat was added to the nutrition facts label in 2006, saw a drop of about 80% in intake of artificial trans fats. And that was through consumers choosing different options and also industry reformulating in response. And FDA's since taken additional actions and these artificial trans fats now are essentially out of the food supply, hoping to avert tens of thousands of cases of heart disease and stroke. But but to the point about front of pack labeling, so that would be a complement to the nutrition facts label information, but on the front of the food package and could be a helpful, simple aid that gives additional context for making healthy food choices. And the evidence suggests that a standardized science-based front of package labeling scheme can really help consumers, especially those with less nutrition knowledge and busy shoppers just quickly and easily identify foods that are part of a healthy eating pattern. So how do you know if it's successful or not? If you're testing it out, what's your measure uh, of success that, yes, this is effective? Yeah, so, and great question. I mean, what we've seen, that the use of front of package or often people call FOP schemes, seen that has written just dramatically around the world in recent years. And so we've seen some of the experiences of other countries that have adopted front of package schemes that suggest that they can really help people understand the nutrition information and make healthier choices. And you see a variety of different schemes around the world. Some are voluntary, some have colors, some focus on nutrients, some have the additional interpretive elements, like um, something is high or medium or low. Some take more of a warning label approach. So we've been uh, looking at the experiences of other countries, looking at the scientific literature, and now uh, we're planning to conduct additional consumer research to further explore the development of a scheme and, and to look at the different types of schemes and how consumers might interpret that information and their ability to make healthier choices. Okay, so we got this message from Sandy. I don't really care whether you put them on the front or the back. I would like to be able to read them. When you do a light gray on white or a white on a light gray or it's so tiny that I can't even read it with my reading glasses, that's a problem. So thanks to Sandy for that message. And, you know, Robin, she's right. Sometimes, A, the the the, the nutritional label is very tiny, uh, and sometimes they play around with the coloring. Are, are, are there... Are there plans to, to make changes to those requirements? 
Again, uh, very helpful feedback. And uh, again, that it would this would be something, as I mentioned before, we're focusing on the design of the schemes right now, planning to conduct this experimental study and and look at the results on people how are, how they're interpreting this this the different types of schemes and the information they're seeing, maybe different colors uh, and and things like that. Um, but then we would be we could be uh, in the process of undertaking um, look, developing some requirements for industry. And if we were to do that, then there would be there's always a, a public, process to provide comments and feedback. And that seems like exactly the right um, information that we'd be looking to receive because it's so helpful. It's part of all of the processes in developing um, guidance documents and regulations from from FDA, always a public process. Um, Going back to the example of the nutrition facts label, I think there was something up to 500,000 public comments that were received as part of that process. And all of them are reviewed very carefully, and that issue of legibility would be very important. And I would urge the listener to submit those comments when we when we ask for those uh, public comments, if and when we get to that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, Robin, because just looking at the number of questions I'm not getting to right now, people are passionate about nutrition labels, but uh, sometimes these things can can be um, confusing. Robin, and and sometimes the nutrition labels, as we've talked about earlier, aren't always clear, especially when it comes to ingredients. Your response? Well, uh, we've taken uh, a number of steps with with certain elements. Just recently, for instance, we uh, there's a uh, an ingredient that's often used in helping to reduce sodium in uh, in in foods, and but we knew that uh, potassium chloride and people were um, reacting to that, didn't realize it was a substitute for for sodium, for instance, and now allow the term potassium salt to give people greater information. But um, I will say on the sweeteners, we have some great information that's just recently been updated on our website, certainly considered under the uses, the intended uses of um, their use, the the sweeteners that are uh, approved for use in the U.S., are considered safe under the um, approved conditions uh, or um, the, the considerations um, that we we take into effect. And um, but certainly we'll continue. We are very committed to um, examining the science as it as it may continue to emerge there. And there are requirements, as you noted, for uh, having that information on ingredient labels as part of the disclosures for certain allergens. And um, so we're very focused on making sure that that uh, that information is available for people and we'll continue to to closely follow the science there. I also wanted to tell you that one of our listeners, Kit, suggests that you should put a QR code on the front of food packaging that goes directly to the detailed nutrition information. So you can salt that one away, pardon the pun, in your uh, suggestions file. Um, but what's the timeline here? When might shoppers see, for example, a, a experimental nutrition label on the front of a food package? Well, yes. Uh, thanks for the feedback on the QR code. I, I believe that um, voluntarily some firms are already doing that, but we'll, um, thanks for the suggestion. But to your question, yeah, on, on when this might go into effect, we're, right now as we're planning to conduct, we're very focused on this experimental study 
Then we'll be reviewing the feedback that we've received from the public comment process. Then we'll be making any tweaks and and then maybe developing, depending on the the results of the study, could be developing requirements. And if we did take that approach, as I mentioned before, we'd be going out for public comment, inviting comment from everybody. So um, bottom line is it's probably too preliminary at this point to be talking about when a requirement um, might go into effect, but it is a really high priority for the agency as part of a suite of activities that we have uh, to help people, to help consumers um, have accurate info, the most important accurate uh, nutrition information and are part of a much larger suite of activities across the federal government and beyond um, to help people um, improve eating patterns and live healthier lives. That sounds like an I don't know. Uh, Robin McKinnon is a senior advisor for nutrition policy at the Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition, a division of the FDA. Robin, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you. I'd love to get your responses to what we heard, just heard from Robin McKinnon. Uh, Dr. Maker Clark, would you like to start? I appreciated Robin coming on. I think it's important that we're, you know, holding our governmental agencies to task when it comes to improving the health of our country. There's only so much that people like Maya and myself can do from an education perspective. It's important, but it's not enough. You need to make societal changes for people to be able to eat more healthily. And as long as healthy foods are more expensive, this is going to be an uphill battle. So I appreciate her uh, input. I do think that we are, I do feel optimistic. I think this is really important. I want to make sure that we end our conversation talking about what's possible because there are challenges ahead of us. And you know, this, is, this has always been a very difficult conversation talking about food in the United States without even going into food apartheid, food access, all of the many challenges that our communities have in getting healthy food. But I do think there are reasons to be optimistic. And the fact that this administration is serious about helping Americans make better food choices and starting to listen and understand what the real issues are is a a reason, I think, for us to stay hopeful and to keep putting the pressure on, you know, and making the choices that will change the food industry. And you are voting with your money on what gets made and what doesn't. Maya, what are your thoughts about what we just heard from Rob McKinnon of the FDA? Yeah, so I thought that it was uh, great to hear from Robin. And I agree with Dr. Maker-Clark. I really think that people need options. Otherwise, they can't make choices. And when we're talking about food apartheid, we know that the vast majority of people in the U.S. who experience food apartheid are those very people who have the highest rates of those non-communicable conditions. So I do think continued pressure. Sorry, I'm just on- going to inter- interject for just a second, make sure everyone understands. Food apartheid refers to a, a system of segregation, like uh, f- between those who have access to a whole variety of nutritious foods and options, and those who are denied access have a limited um, a number of options of foods because of, uh, of systemic injustices, systemic opportunities. Okay, go ahead, Maya. Sorry about that. No problem. Thank you, Celeste. I appreciate that. So I think that it's really important, especially in historically marginalized communities, that people come together and just as Dr. Maker-Clark said, vote with your dollars, but also put pressure on your public officials. 
you know, I also want to be careful not to put the burden back on those who have been, you know, disenfranchised. But I think that we have to continue to push so that we can see change. The other question that came to mind for me is, you know, front of package labeling, many people that I speak with say, well, is it meaningful? If something is listed gluten-free, for example, water, well, that's confusing and that's not meaningful, right? So I think that we have to work with manufacturers as well as governmental agencies to make sure that there are regulations around what some of those health claims are in relation to that front-of-label packaging. Thank you so much to our guests for joining us today. It has been so great hearing from Dr. Gita Maker-Clark, the Director of Integrative Nutrition and Advocacy at North Shore University Health System, also co-director of the Culinary Medicine Program at the University of Chicago, and also from Maya Feller, registered dietitian nutritionist in Brooklyn, also the author of Eating from Our Roots, 80-plus healthy home-cooked favorites from cultures around the world. Thank you both. Today's producer was Haley Blessingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Celeste Headley. We will talk more soon, and this is 1A. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.